0: Listening to Spitball with Adri Ballhawk Mallows and Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson Hello and welcome to episode sixty-five of Spitball. I'm your host, Adri Ballhawk Mallows, and joining me is the ever-present, the ever-full of innuendos, the one, the only, that sentence didn't even make any sense, but who cares, it's... (laughs) Marcus Innuendo Bingo Henson. How are you, buddy? (laughs) I'm good. When have I ever made sense? Uh, Well, you normally make about (laughs) as much sense as that last sentence now. You're you're normally much better than that, my friend, trust me. I'm sure all the (laughs) listeners agree, and maybe even the producer.
1: Meh. M-E-H. (laughs)
0: well uh, yeah yeah maybe (laughs) so let us move on with the show who are you i don't even know your name what's your name turn around let me see your name turn around let me see your name turn around i don't know you bro you're having one of those days hey baby you're
1: having one of those days i say that to say this and you wouldn't have did what you would have did then we wouldn't have been where we was at to get what we got that just don't make no sense, dog. Marcus, put your shoe on! Put it on! Put your Jeez. Well, I can't finish with this, bro. <laughs> I'm
0: a teeth. think I my tooth. Wish I had some goals, even buy me some teeth. This week saw the culmination of conference play with both the AFC Conference Championship game. And the NFC Championship Conference game, that's not a mouthful at all. And I didn't struggle to say that without going there, 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 there.
1: No, well avoided from going there, 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 there,
0: there. Exactly, until afterwards when I went there, 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 there. But moving swiftly on... I think we should start with the New England versus Indianapolis AFC Championship game. What say thou?
1: What say thou? Oh, Jesus. Yeah, go on then. <laughs> Smile and nod. Smile and if, nod.
0: If I put it like that, then you'll say yes, basically, yeah?
1: <laughs> yes.
0: What say thou, good man? <laughs> uh, I say that it was a... Uh, well, it was, it was a domi- domination It was a domination, a destruction, just tearing one team apart. They tore them anew. Really, didn't they? Let's face it. (laughs) Yeah, Indianapolis just didn't even look like they turned up. No, and there's a story I'm going to come on to in a minute, which I think is hilarious, bearing in mind... How they actually played, but obviously hinted there that New England were quite substantial winners of this one, which they did. They ended up winning forty-five-seven. What were some of the main talking points of the game for you? I mean, where do you think this game was won and lost, Marcus?
1: Really, this this game was it was won and lost in mistakes made by Indianapolis
0: mainly. Uh, yeah, just kind of elaborate on that for us, please, bud.
1: Well, you know, it doesn't start off great. Where you know, I think it was the second possession where. Uh, Joshua Cribs fumbles the ball on, um, a pump return. And then later on, it's just loads of drop catches and missed opportunities and really a good sort of shooting themselves in the
0: foot. On the, the Cribs fumble, it wasn't your normal everyday gets hit from behind or someone knocks the ball out. This was a, going to return a punt it hits you in the face <laughs> yeah i mean <laughs> yeah right in the face god you just you can't account for something like that as a coach can you and you think of the momentum that that gives your opposition and of course it did then end up leading to new england's first touchdown and for new england there was one player for me that really stood out and it wasn't gronkowski it wasn't brady it was le garrett blunt now Credit where credit's due, I still hate the fact that he walked out on Pittsburgh in the middle of the season and it kind of kills me a little bit that he's actually going to be playing in a Super Bowl. But as I say, credit where credit's due, he did have another hell of a game against Indianapolis and a mini beast mode type game.
1: Yeah, well, it was. It was the the power running game, which I think we, we've, we've mentioned at least once before that Indianapolis do, don't have the capacity to stop. They're built on speed rather than strength. Uh, so the idea is to get to the quarterback before he can throw and then to sort of close up any running lanes before the runner can hit them. However, if you've got someone like Garrett Bryant who just wants to put his head down and like charge gung-ho into every single gap and just blow it open and just take 10 yards whenever he feels like
0: it, well, what are you going to do? And I think the thing for me as well is what what comes with those speed linebackers. If, if all you're looking for is speed and say reasonably solid tackling, I think... You lose out on a lot of the fundamentals, and and one of the big parts for me about playing linebacker is the ability to read the game and and read the gaps, and and if you're not able to to read the gaps and put yourself in a position to make the tackle, and you just you just get swallowed up by the offensive line and anyone who's blocking half the time, and then that negates the fact that you've got speed. It
1: seemed that um, it was less Indianapolis. They were kind of doomed from the start. They were the wrong team to sort of take on the Patriots, especially an informed Patriots team. Um And rather healthy Patriots team, you know they didn't have many injury problems coming into this. Most of their their first teamers, the the offensive weapons were healthy, ready to go. You know Gronk's back. They had all their sort of running back options like Farin. It was back to full speed, so he was perfect for the pass game. And where New England succeeded, Indianapolis constantly failed. You know when they try to go to the short passing game, guys were dropping them. When they try to go to the long bombs, uh, Andrew Luck was getting accepted.
0: This is true. And with the exception of there was one play, one catch by T.Y. Hilton, which I thought was Ooh. just absolutely outstanding. And I think yes. I'm going to try and find it to, to put it in, in the show notes purely because, again, we talk about it quite a bit on the show, but it's that finesse, the footwork, to catch the ball in such a tight space and still manage to keep your feet on the ground, dragging his toes to complete the catch. Just amazing athleticism. And apart from that, Luck didn't really have a great day, did he? didn't throw any touchdowns, only threw for 126 yards. And by his standards, an incredibly bad game. Now... I want to ask you this because it's something I thought about when I was just putting together some notes. But for me, I don't think Indianapolis had that much momentum actually coming into the playoffs
1: there seem to be uh, a sort of stumbling into, you know, when they, they they sort of teams talking about teams that stumble into the playoffs. And we'll, we, I mean, we'll look at uh, the likes to say, Seattle later in the show and the fact that they went on a seven-game winning streak into the playoffs um, and ultimately, you know, that's helped them. They've got the advantage at the moment, haven't they, in Indianapolis, that the AFC South is relatively an unchallenged crown. So, therefore, apart from the last couple of years where Houston have made a trife of, semi contending or at least being in the picture there's never really been any threat in this luck era for anyone to take away the division title so the fact is that while they have got that secured it it seems almost like they don't have to be that strong a team to make sure they get into the playoffs
0: true but here's one for you i think if houston can trade up in the draft and take one of these quarterbacks, because uh, Mariota has declared for the draft now, hasn't he? Yes, that's So, right. Or even not necessarily Mariota. I mean, I know there's not a lot of great quarterbacks in free agency, but if they can work out some kind of deal where they get a quarterback who's not a D-grade, say like Ryan Fitzpatrick or or Case Keenum, if they can upgrade their quarterback to a... We know they won't get an elite quarterback because elite quarterbacks just don't go around like that. But what about if they get a quarterback next year they're going to be in a much better position to put up a challenge against Indianapolis because they're sound defensively and to be fair, super sound, I think defensively running back wise this year, we've had the emergence of Alfred blue behind Ari and Foster. So whilst Foster brings a hell of a lot to that team in blue, they've got a a great backup there. The receivers, they've got the Andre Hopkins. If they keep Andre Johnson and get someone who can actually get him motivated and playing well, then um, I think, Indianapolis might not have such an easy time of it next year.
1: I mean, don't take away from Indianapolis. They did knock off Denver last week. The situation they're in, you know, this comfortable ride they're on, it can't last forever. So sooner or later, that team's going to have to strengthen itself. Now, I know there's a lot of young blood in there, so fair enough, you know, making for the future. The talent-wise on offense, you know, you look at the sort of like Hilton and Knicks and Kobe Fleener, So um, with luck throwing to them, they've got a great passing game. They haven't for the last couple of years had a rushing game and like you said their their defensive preference of speed over strength this year some games where they've played blindingly on defense almost shutting teams out because if you come up against the right team um who play their system and it's built on um a sort of possessive time-based pocket aware passing you can get to the quarterback before he has the time to throw and all these other sort of stuff that speed can disrupt then they of course that's they've had the advantage and they've won those games I just feel they need a little bit more a uh, bit toughness, bit of um bulk. So you have to even just look at the sort of the size of New England. Big running backs, you've got big tight ends, big strong sort of dominant line, those sort of teams which are playing the strength card, I feel the speed's lost to them.
0: Yeah, and, and to be fair, on a plus note as well, you'd have to say that the Colts are getting further and further into the playoffs with Andrew Luck. So you know, I, I firmly believe that Andrew Luck will get to a Super Bowl with the Colts. It's just that he may need to wait a couple of years unless they can properly build the right team around him as far as running game goes and also a solid defence. The speed will only get you so far as we've mentioned, but make sure you build a a solid defence and then you don't need Andrew Luck to be throwing 50 passes a game because then that takes away uh, part of the surprise on the defence. They know Luck's going to be dropping back and passing, so... They can just do whatever they want, pretty much as long as they cover a few receivers down the field, blitz him. They know that they're not going to have to worry about a run. So I think perhaps maybe we'll, we'll leave that there with the exception of the scandal to come out of this game. Now, when you get blown out 45 to seven, normally you just have to put your hands up and say, do you know what? We were awful. There's, there's, n- there's nothing else to say. We have to stick our hands up. It was a poorly coached, poorly executed. Everything around it, just a bad, bad game. We'll come back stronger next year. Instead, they've chosen to accuse New England of deflating the pressure in the the game balls to make it easier to throw and grip and catch. Now, it came apparently on the back of an interception that the Colts had. But let's look at the facts. Two hours before each game, Uh, each team has bought 12 balls to a game Uh, the referee goes and checks the balls and signs them off and then they're kept by it's going to sound really lame terminology but when I read it it's effectively the ball keeper the ball boy whatever you want to call them they stay with them until game time and then obviously we know that during the game you see all of the different people around the pitch with like the kind of the stomach basket of balls, the refs are handling the ball pretty much every single play, whether they're marking it for a line of scrimmage, what have you. The only time in the game that one of the balls was changed, for whatever reason that still hasn't been made clear yet, was before a kickoff, which is a kicking ball, which they wouldn't use during their offence anyway, because they're separate balls for kicking and there's separate balls for, for rushing and passing, etc. So, not quite sure where this one's going to go, but it seems like it's very much clutching at straws.
1: It feels just like a little bit of a media storm, like a bit of a spin, you know. You look at the other game and how it had that sort of roller coaster ride, because I think, just to be fair, because this was just such a sledging on one side, absolute domination, there has to be something for the media to grip onto. They can't just say... Oh, the Pats just destroyed the, the Colts. No, nah, it's too boring. Just like comfortable win into the to takes Pats to Super Bowl. Yeah, it's not going to sell headlines. Oh, another Patriots scandal. Oh, now that's going to get people selling papers and stuff. That's what it just feels like to me.
0: I, I have to concur to to some degree there, I think. And let's just finish off then. I know I said this a little while ago, but <laughs> final note on that particular. As, as we always do. As we always do. The final note, but the final note and the final note. But this is the final note. We're well, New England are in the Super Bowl for the eighth time, and Tom Brady is in the Super Bowl for the sixth time. That to me, with everything he's had to work with, that's why Brady is better than Manning.
1: I do not envy the guy who is going to have to
0: replace him. No, agreed how how do you replace that?
1: You, you-, you don't, and I think I, I feel really, really sorry for whichever quarterback gets drafted or whoever they're going to try and think is going to be Brady's successor, he will always be regarded in light of Brady's achievements, which are phenomenal. And he will always be regarded in his just, I I guess, the, the command and presence in the locker room. Because let's face it, but if Brady asked all those guys to jump, they'd leap into the air simultaneously. I think he's got such, a, such a character. Well, you see him on the sidelines, so pumped up. I'm sure five minutes in his company and I too would, would follow that man to hell and back.
0: Yeah, fair play. So we will leave that there. <laughs> you are listening to Spitball. We come on now to the NFC Conference Championship game between Seattle and Green Bay in, of course, the loudest stadium in the NFL in CenturyLink Field in Seattle. Now, this game was a hell of a game from start to finish. I mean, wow. (laughs) Just simply wow. On the, the first Green Bay drive, they drive the length of the field and then they get close to the goal line and Rogers uncharacteristically throws an interception because he underthrew uh, Adams on the fade against Richard Sherman, and that's always bad news whenever you underthrow a ball against Richard Sherman.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, the, the the coverage. Oh my word, absolutely perfection by Richard Sherman. But then we start to to come to, to just uh, accept that. that that Richard Sherman is just phenomenal and you have to play phenomenal an extra level above that to beat him. It was definitely one of those nail biters from just start to finish, sitting there going, I'm glad I'm not a a Packers or a a Seattle fan because I think you would have had your heart firmly in your throat for pretty much the
0: entire game. Yeah, absolutely. Well, just one quick thing on the the Sherman pick. When you watch the replay, obviously I don't know whether Adams was uh, Rodgers' first read or not. But there's a moment when you see Adams get off the line of scrimmage, as he starts to get towards Sherman, he hits a burst of speed and he actually has about two, three yards on Sherman, when if the ball's thrown then, that's a touchdown every day of the week. But because either he doesn't see him because his progression's had him somewhere else on the field... But the fact that he saw him late and then underthrew him, that's the reason why, obviously in a great play by Sherman, kind of making up for the loss in ground. Then on the next drive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Russell Wilson comes out. And this was the tipped pass, I believe, wasn't it? That ended up in, uh, haha, Clinton Dix's hands. And I just thought, wow. <laughs> what a way to start the game. Two interceptions like that from two of the best quarterbacks in the game.
1: Because, of course, they got so close and to throw throw the ball away. And then, of course, now they've given an opportunity, you've held the Packers' high-scoring offense, and you go and give it away. And, of course, uh, it should have been closer, not for the 15-yard penalty, but they're pretty much in your red zone now. You've just gifted it back to them. And I was just sitting there going, well, it seems no one wants to win today.
0: Yeah, it was absolutely crazy, wasn't it? And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, like you said, that 15-yard penalty was a, a taunting penalty, I believe. Uh, one of, was it one of the defensive linemen getting in, in someone's face?
1: Yeah, and it was silly because Ha-Ha returned it to about, about the, eight.
0: Uh, no, not, it's even closer than that. I think he returned was it, was it to it, it, about the, the four or the five-yard line, 100%, if not exactly. closer.
1: and you're sitting there going, you've done what? Because, of course, inevitably, in the end, that's what happens. I mean, to be fair, fair play Seattle. What a way to stop them. I mean, first they think Coons in, but he's not. And then I think uh, they try and run it with Lacey uh, on the goal. And they just stop him, dead. Bang.
0: Two two really short runs, denied. See, now with that, obviously, they had two attempts to get from the half-yard line, taking it up to third down. Now, on fourth down, in that situation, away to Seattle, do you take the points as McCarthy did, or... Do you try and ram it in their throats? You've got the momentum. If you don't score, they start on the half-yard line, regardless of the fact that they've got Marshawn Lynch. You've got everything going for you, with the exception of that small emotional boost that comes with a a fourth-down stop, had they been stopped.
1: No, I I wouldn't have done it in the first one. I think he was right to take the first three points. However, the next drive after that, again, when they get so bogged down, and I think it's about two-yard line, that's when I'd sit there and go, right, we've been here once and we had to take three. Let's see if we can just get one extra.
0: Of course, because that second try, they they got the three points off the the first drive, kicked it off, and then Baldwin fumbles and they get a a second chance to put more points on the board. So you're thinking you can allow McCarthy to get the first points on the board, but let's not forget the momentum that builds up there. So they've got their three points, they kick off, they get the fumble recovery, they get down to the goal line again. So they've got all that momentum with them Chances are they probably would get over the line on the fourth down.
1: It just felt that with the field goals, they just never truly put the nail in the coffin. Seattle. I mean, you think about it as you work through like the seven points. Think how how much the game would have changed, and just sitting there going, if I had scored, it's a, it's a ten point game. And then the Randall Cobb one later on, that's a seventeen point game. And then of course, even if they wanted to put on the the long field goal, it could have been twenty nil up at the half. And I just feel that. I think 20 nil up the free score principle. Because of course, it's only two scores at 16 nil. Well, that's exactly uh, it, isn't it? The free score principle, I feel just didn't quite hold the same weight. You know, if I saw 16 nil guys, we're down by two scores. That's the key know?
0: thing, isn't it? It's, it's how you see it mentally. If you're down 16 points, because I was saying this to myself, because it was obviously 16 nil at half time to the Packers thinking that's still only two touchdowns.
1: Yeah. And I honestly think that's why they came out and they just bossed it because. As you get into that second half, you're sitting there going, guys, it's only two scores. You turn around and you're sitting there going, I think we can have a two-score swing somewhere in this game. There's three field goals in that first half for Green Bay. Can you imagine if both of those... um those goal line
0: stops have been converted. You're twenty four nil up. Well, I at think half time. Sorry, buddy. Just for me on that. I think if they didn't kick that three points and say they had scored, I don't think that ensuing kickoff gets fumbled. I think Crosby boots that right through the back of the end zone, and Baldwin doesn't return it.
1: Yeah, potentially. Potentially. I just, I just feel there is like we, we were saying. The way you see the game, You know, they didn't see the game as lost at sixteen nil. No, I think it's if it's been 20 nil, I think that sits differently in the mind of the Seattle players at halftime. 20 nil down. I think he'd thrown three interceptions by halftime, Russell Wilson. So you're sitting there going, our quarterback has lost all confidence. We are 20 nil down, guys. The game plan would have been crazy. I mean, there might have been considerations of changing Wilson and stuff like that. So therefore, two scores, three scores. Sounds weird just say that extra score effectively four points isn't it Mm. it's a big four points it's a very big four points
0: yeah absolutely well it kind of reminds me of of rugby in a way because I think in rugby and forgive me for talking about this on our NFL podcast but I always feel that when you're only sort of seven points up and when you're only basically a converted try ahead you know it's only a small gap but as soon as you get that extra three points on there as well and you get a 10 point lead it's not very often I've seen teams come back from, from 10 points down. I mean, the first time I think I ever saw it was when, <laughs> when Australia were actually, uh, 17 points down, I believe this year against Ireland, uh, and managed to get it back to 17 or well, somehow it was really weird. But, um, in general, it doesn't happen. It's that kind of comfort margin, regardless of sport. Once you get that comfort margin or say like 3-0 in football, for example, it's when you may think about taking your foot off the gas. But against a team like Seattle, even then, you would try and surely run up the score. And there was a point in the second half, Sherman gets injured. I think this was my biggest bugbear of that entire game. Sherman gets hurt. He's down to one arm in that second half. The first thing they did was put Jordy Nelson on him. And that, to me, I thought, yep, absolutely great move. But they didn't really run any kind of deep roots when I think with Nelson. I'm thinking, Sherman's down to one arm. The first thing I'm going to do is send a go route on him. Because if he's only got one arm, he's got to try and cover Nelson for speed and somehow make a play on the ball, which um, is going to be extremely difficult with one arm.
1: When he hyperextended the arm, that's on that first down run. So therefore, you've got a first down in their territory. Like you say, Sherman's down to one arm. And you think just how much you use that arm for. The speed, you need it to power your, your speed as you're running upfield. You need it for cover I think, honestly, the first play should have been Right, long bomb in his direction. And it just it never seemed hostile. I know it sort of its at Seattle. It's more at aggressiveness, no point, I think, isn't aggressiveness, it? Aggressiveness. This was a big thing they would say uh, in the coverage. At no point. Did the Seattle crowd lose hope in their team either?
0: No, they went it, slightly quiet, but they were always—you always knew they were there, as stupid as that sounds.
1: Yeah, and I feel that really, you, they never sat there and just, you know, put that pin drop moment into the stadium where you really take it out of the crowd. That sucks it out of the team and just drains them, of course. Like you say, I mean, they end up kicking another field goal and it's like 19-7. It's like it's that mental game where you're sitting there going, you know, they've scored their first points. They're on the board. They feel good. They've held them to free again. That, there's that slow creep, that loss of aggression, loss of ah, It's difficult to explain. I know my mind is trying to process the words to put it into effect. It's like when you're you're going mano a mano in a boxing ring. And the light switches on that says to you, you your opponent doesn't think they can beat you.
0: Yeah, they're on the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, and to be fair, actually, I think we should uh, say, I mean, Seattle, um, as you say, fair play for having the mentality that even at two scores behind, everybody in that locker room and on the coaching staff believed they could win. And they ended up doing it in in quite dramatic fashion. They got the Marshawn Lynch touchdown with, uh, was it about two minutes to go or two minutes 40 to go so well actually no it probably was about two minutes to go i think wasn't it and um obviously they then went for the onside kick which we're gonna talk about now and um they managed to recover the onside kick because uh bostic went up for for the catch um and it kind of bounced off his helmet and then ended up in the arms of uh seahawks and they went on to get <laughs> another score and then the two-point conversion as well afterwards, and on that two point conversion, now, haha, Clinton Dix had had an amazing game up until that point. He had two interceptions, uh, his second of which I'm definitely putting in the show notes because it was just unbelievable. But then on that two point conversion, whether he thought the ball was just sailing well out the back of the end zone or what, I don't know, but it's almost inexcusable that he doesn't jump up to try and make a play on that, that, sh- that pass to, to Baldwin.
1: Yeah, I, I I did look at this, actually, because I was like, what are you playing at? And what it seems like is, like you say, with the way that it was thrown, he's got Wilson in his sights on one eye, and he, you can see that he's looking down at the other Wilson.
0: Oh, <laughs> It was Russell Luke Wilson. Wilson, wasn't it? Sorry, it was Luke Wilson yeah. that got the two-point conversion. Yes, yeah, sorry.
1: So he's got he's, he's looking at the quarterback and the tight end, so he's got his man. He knows he's close enough to his guy. He sees the throw, and it almost looks like cause you, the wind was blowing horribly, and it was a rainy, horrible day. And you can see the wind does take it. And it honestly, it does feel like, like you say, that he almost feels, because it does start a fear away via violently, um, sort of to the right, it almost looks like he thinks it's going to land over everyone's head.
0: Yeah, because he oh, kind uh, of half jumps, doesn't he? But not he, he kind of, well, would not even half jumps. He kind of looked like he was about to make a play, but then just it look, leaves it. Yeah, him. it looks like he's
1: going to make a play. And it looks like he pulls out of it thinking it's missed everyone. And then Luke Wilson, because you can see the veer, the veer on the as the wind catches the football or something. And um, Wilson does sort of have to, like, really, luckily, he's a tall lad. He stick his full height out, extends the arms, and he just sort of, like, plops perfectly into the mitts. And, of course, by then, it doesn't matter what happens because he's caught it on the goal line. All he's got to do is turn his body around and bang, he's into the end zone.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And just one other player I want to mention, actually, before we come back to the the onside kick is Barrington, the Green Bay linebacker. I mean, I'd not heard much of him before this particular game but man, what a way to put yourself on the map. I thought he was outstanding. He had 11 total tackles um, and he also had a definite touchdown that he ripped out of Lynch's hands. <laughs> Lynch had that ball in his hands and, and Barrington just ripped it out. Um, Again, we're going to put um the highlights of both championship games in the show notes for you so you can have a look yourself but I just thought, man, this this is going to be one hell of a linebacker.
1: There so many people who had a great game and then one moment failed them, and there was other people who
0: had such bad
1: games, I'm thinking of Jermaine here, and then pulled it out when it most counted.
0: Yeah, agreed. So we'll come on now to the onside kick right at the end of the game, which we know that Seattle recovered. And I feel sorry for, for Bosti because... Obviously, he's been hammered by a special teams coach. He's been hammered by Mike McCarthy. When Jeff Reinebold was describing it on the actual uh, Sky Sports coverage, and how he was supposed to to block the guy in front of him for Nelson to to make the catch behind him, you know what? At the end of the day, we've all been there, where we all just want to make a play in the heat of the moment. You're not thinking straight. You kind of you almost go into like a rabbit in the headlights situation, don't you? Because you're in that under that much pressure that <laughs> you just kind of go on what you thinks right rather than necessarily what your brain is saying you should have been doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's face it. We're not robots here. We're all human. And the fact is that when you play the game, you know, there are moments when you it's more beneficial to, say, swat the ball down than it it.
0: Yeah, or, or t- stay there and make a tackle instead of going for the pick because there's been many times when I've been, my eyes have lit up because I think I'm going to get an amazing pick and then next thing you know, the receiver's got it and I'm flat-footed.
1: Exactly. And it's, you know what? It, it is sort of drummed into you. Or oh, me catch ball. Ah, catch ball is good. And that's, it's, it's that sort of mentality that, you know, when in the, in that split second, that conscientious part of your brain that sort of operates without actual any instruction, that sort of just the reflexes and it's that sort of muscle memory that sees the football in front of you. And does, you know, does it remember that Jordy Nelson is a pace behind you, ready to catch the ball? Uh, As his role? (laughs) No, it doesn't. It says, no, I've got to catch that ball.
0: Yeah, it absolutely does. And I think on that, afterwards, I think Bostick was absolutely 100% first class. I mean, let's face it, nobody on the planet feels as bad as that guy does right now. Because he thinks, regardless of everything else that's gone on in that game, he thinks he's cost his team a shot at the Super Bowl. No one feels worse than that guy, but he came out, he owned his mistake. We've talked about this before, about uh Doomerville owning his... uh Sorry, not Dumoville, sorry, it was uh, de Nada, wasn't it? Who owned his mistake and said, you know what, I've let the team down, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, he came out, he owned it, he said he, he's let his teammates down and everything else, like family, and, and he's just been 100% first class. Yet, as always... You do get that small percentage of narrow-minded people that think it's okay to tweet a guy uh, all kinds of garbage. Um I mean I've seen tweets today that just say like at, at, well, actually I'm not I'm not going to give out his tweet handle cuz that could be for just a, a lead brother but just going to abuse him and I'm not going to do that. But people who tweeted him just being like, "Hey, <laughs> you" Or uh, did you have hot cheese on your hands when you were going to catch that ball? Just random things like that. And that's the, uh, they're not the worst of the insults by far. And you just think we all get frustrated after our team loses and we all want to like punch the, the nearest person or object to us. But there are those of us that think bullying, and there's no other word for this, by the way, people, bullying someone on Twitter because you're upset is not acceptable in any way, shape, or form.
1: No, absolutely. And unfortunately, it's the bane of the, the modern social media that it makes it just too easy.
0: Yeah, 100%. And, um, the only thing I will say is that there's on the flip side to that. When I was going through the tweets before we uh, started recording, there is so much positive stuff on there today. Um, just reading about 90% of the tweets I read were, Hey man, the real fans have got your back. Mistakes happen. Let's have a great year next year. Let's move on. Keep your head high and, and lots of tweets along that sort of nature. And that's what I would expect to see support for your team. Have a think about these things. It's a great life lesson, to be fair. Don't ever, ever send a message, a tweet, an email, anything like that in the heat of the moment because you're only going to end up coming up looking like a complete. Yeah.
1: And like you said, and the fact is the real fans will come around and they will, they do have his back. So if anyone wants to be narrow-minded, like you say, or small or cowardly and actually attack him in this way, well, you know what? The real fans are going to come and, you know, the fact is they'll stand up for that player and they will be the ones feeling small and insecure, the bully, the bullies themselves. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's part of life, you know. You win games, you lose games. Moments come, moments go. You're either victor- are gloriously victorious or sometimes, unfortunately, disastrously defeated. Was it last week or the week before? I think I said that, you know, sometimes it's not just one moment that makes a game. And yes, okay, the onside kick went horribly, horribly wrong. However, if they converted some more chances and some of those field goals early in the game, would an onside kick have even happened or occurred? No. So therefore, you know what? It's not just down to that one moment in time in that one second in a
0: set of 60 minutes that determine the outcome of that game no i totally agree and we'll get back to the game now so sorry about the, the little ran there it's just some of these things they really kind of you know what really grinds my gears grind your gears they do grind my gears so to speak don't they marcus yes oh so if only that was a feature on that oh wait a minute yes it is a feature on the show <laughs> back to the game after recovering the onside kick they get the score then Green Bay somehow, <laughs> well Aaron Rodgers is how I guess, <laughs> drive the ball down the length of the field, take it to overtime and at that point you're thinking this could go anyway. I was thinking I was really hoping the Madden cover curse was going to come into play and despite their comeback um Seattle were going to lose because of Madden. Um, unfortunately it didn't quite work out that way. Green Bay got the ball after winning the toss and Oh, man, that's what you talk about using momentum in your favour. What did it take? Four, five plays tops to score that game winning touchdown?
1: It kind of, just for a moment there, as I watched it and I just sat there and went, where has this been
0: all game? Yeah, where's well, the Green Bay defence getting tired? Because the Green Bay defence, up until that sort of point in time, they'd absolutely played their skins out. They turned Seattle over five times. You can't ask more from your defense at that point in time. They are absolutely beaten up. They're broken. They've had everything start to go against them, and it's just like you're just emotionally drained. I think at that point, aren't you?
1: Yes, I think if you split up the team, the defense played a performance that could have won an NFC Championship game. Mate,
0: that was a they played a performance up until well. The defence as a whole, obviously there's a a couple of plays in there, but let's just say, as a whole, the defence played a game not just worthy of winning the championship, a game that could win you the Super Bowl. That kind of performance on defence, defence wins championships, and they were amazing. This game has three phases in it. They won the defensive battle, the
1: special team battle was a draw, and ultimately it came down mano-a-mano, offence versus offence. And Seattle's offence, ultimately... (laughs) ate their skittles at halftime, and turned up the beast mode.
0: Touch the rainbow. Taste the rainbow. (laughs) They did. And you know what? Again, that's another thing. So you just reminded me of something else I got a little bit annoyed about because, again, when they were looking to kill the game off, Eddie Lacey had been playing pretty much solidly for the entire game. You've got James Starks, who, of the two plays I can remember him coming on for, had big runs. So, again, at that point where you've just got that um, Morgan Burnett pick – you're in a great position in the uh, in the fields. Give oh, it God. to your change of pace back. They're the situations he is there for, right? Because they're used to uh, lacy bulldozing through. You're midway through sort of the, the, the fourth quarter. You've been playing football for nearly 60 minutes. Just give it to the, the guy who's fresh. And quick, because he's going to have a field day against a defence that's worn out. I
1: couldn't understand what Burnett was doing, the whole sort of college style, you know, take a knee um, interception. That was very bizarre, because there was at least a good sort of 15, 20 yards of green grass in front of him. It Um, was a
0: not lose. They said it as well on the commentary, didn't they? They said it was the not lose mentality. It was that I don't want to get hit and fumble it.
1: Yeah, I think it was like too safe. Yeah. Um, and I think again, we were saying about, um, Bosdick, corp in the moment. I think you get corp in the moment is that it is, Oh my God, I've intercepted it. Um, Oh God, I can't afford to fumble this now. Get down. Yeah. Um, we said about aggression earlier, did we not? Yes. The hostility and the aggression. And it almost seemed like it was just too safely played this game. And ultimately it led to their downfall because they missed that spark of aggression, that risk taking factor. That, like you said, should they have punched in the first two really short field goals? Try to punch them in for for touchdowns. They could have. They chose the points. Could they have tried to take some other options later on, like the one play spark? Do you intercept it and return it for a touchdown? Yeah, that would have just completely sealed it. Nope, they chose to play it safe. Just feels like could
0: Clay Matthews or- have stayed on the the left oh, guard? Yeah. Um, instead of uh, going after the kicker, because let's face it, where, the again, kicker was the never going to outrun anyone, was he? Yeah, that's it. And the more and more I watch that replay, when the um, when the holder, or as the punter wasn't it, John Ryan, when he makes that throw, the guy who missed him in the first place and the him escape has practically got a hand on his shirt. Yeah. So if Matthew stays there, as soon as as soon as Ryan's crossed the line of scrimmage. You come off your receiver and you absolutely annihilate the punter. I mean, how often do you get a chance to get a free shot like that on a punter? You you don't. So as soon as he's come across the line of scrimmage, boom. But obviously, that's again, these are all mental errors. So you can't just blame one guy. There's several things throughout that game. Um, But we're going to leave that there, I think, I'm just looking at the time and thinking, man, we only had two games to talk about this week. (laughs) And boy, did we talk (laughs) so much so that we're actually going (laughs) to... Maybe we're gonna take the uh, the third uh, gear grind out of the show, I think, because we've probably done <laughs> enough gear grinding <laughs> in we, this. We've ground our <laughs> gears quite nicely tonight, haven't we not? Uh, I think we have. So uh, join us in the moment <laughs> for the last part of the show. <laughs> I'm eating burritos bigger than you. It's time to go eat, baby. I see. You got some hungry dogs over here. Apple! Orange! Orange! Apple potato. Oh, I don't want no crackers. Hungry, man. I gotta eat it. Feed him, he hungry. Man, you guys didn't eat your Wheaties this morning, did you? We're eating all day, bro.
1: We'll ground these guys up and turn them into little bitty Eagle
0: meatballs. We are going to finish off this week's show by talking about our other venture. And over the last couple of seasons, it's something we found to be a good filler in between the NFL season. And guess what? It's a combination of American football and extremely... ...attractive, intelligent and sometimes brutal women. And that is, of course, our Legends Football League coverage. Marcus, LFL US Season 6 starts in April. And I figured now would be a good chance to start promoting our LFL podcast, LFL Talk... ...which will be available on iTunes. Our latest LFL Talks will be on the 1800 online network. And of course, it does have its own page on our website women of the gridiron so bullhawksnest.com forward slash women of the gridiron so check that out if you get a chance but Marcus as I say uh, it season starts in April finishes just at the beginning of September so it is that perfect filler for in between the NFL seasons
1: yeah absolutely and I know everyone seems to get it, it seems to be mid-February doesn't it everyone starts feeling a little bit of a withdrawal syndrome don't they
0: but hey, the good news is you don't have to go three, four months without American football. We've got the Legends Football League. Um, as I mentioned before, uh, smart, beautiful, intelligent, brutal women playing, a sport that we all love, hence why we're talking about it now. I think if you haven't had the chance, I'm going to put our trailer for this upcoming season of LFL Talk and the Legends Football League into our show notes, uh, video courtesy. Uh, of the Legends Football League for their footage. And the track is by a great band called Adrenaline, who also did the music for the LFL's uh, game coverage last year. So definitely check that out. Marcus, last year on LFL, Season 5 US, what would you say were your main highlights from our show, maybe, and also the season itself?
1: I'd have to say our highlights have to be some of the amazing guests, we managed to get on the show. Just phenomenal.
0: Last year, we had the first ever LFL Hall of Famer Monique Gaxiola on the show. A great, fun interview to do and amazing to have um, such a pioneer of the game on the show. We also had a chance to interview Heather Rockstar again for the second time, and that was an absolute blast.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we have just, there are some amazing athletes. Um, they've got such great mentalities as well. I think they take their their game really seriously, and also how they just uh, uh, approach other aspects, to to say the promotion and just sort of the awareness of their game.
0: Absolutely, and I think I think if everyone goes out there and just has a look at uh, Mo Gaxiola's uh, Instagram, for example, and you look at some of the things she's doing in the gym now, this will show you that it's come a very very long way since it used to be called the lingerie Football League. I mean the work they put in um, pre-season and and even sort of in the off-season just to keep their bodies in shape and, mate, some of the weights that I've seen Mo Gaxiola lifting, I wouldn't even dream of going near. It's, it's phenomenal.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. This this is not just a um, a Sunday rock-up-and-just-play sport. This is dedicated. This is uh, commitment. And, you know, it's intense. It's intense, and that's that's why we love it so much.
0: And, again, I think you'll get a lot of that from the trailer, and I think... The last thing I, I want to say on that is to say LFL Talk, our podcast, first episode of the season six coming up uh, in the next month. And also this year, we're going to be lining up some more guests. Well, you already have one in the pipeline, which I'm sure everyone will be um, as excited as I am to hear the interview when it takes place. So that's all I'm going to say on that. You need to stay tuned to the website, bullhawksnest.com forward slash women of the gridiron. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Bullhawks Nest, And most importantly, remember...
1: Hey guys, if you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at gmail.com.
0: And if you don't recognize that voice already when you've started watching the LFL, you will recognize that that is, of course, the fantastic Heather Rockstar Fair with our email message there. So the final thing I'm going to mention about the LFL before we wrap up the show Is that Marcus? I know uh, you've probably not had a chance with with all your uni work and the margin lines and everything to to keep track of some of the news, but it's been announced this evening that the Chicago Bliss, the defending LFL champions, are going to be moving to Toyota Park in Bridgeview, Illinois, which is also where the Chicago Fire play. And Marcus, do you know how many people that stadium holds? I haven't got a clue, but... um 30,000 people. Woo! And it's an outdoor grass stadium, which we all know how much I love the fact that LFL is making the transition to outdoor grass stadiums because it's a lot safer for the players and it generally makes a much better atmosphere and they could have up to 30,000 people now I know next year it's going to be a bit too soon to expect there to be 30,000 people in there but when the day comes that the LFL is filling out 30,000, 40,000 people for every game it's just going to be an amazing day and it's going to happen Step in the right direction Absolutely So on that note we move on with the show Weebly.com. that's spamheadproductions.weebly.com that wraps up our rantings for <laughs> another week R- uh, rantings. <laughs> yeah. absolutely yes, oh sorry did i say rantings i meant to say our game analysis there you go <laughs> uh, so, yeah get there in the end so yep yeah, that is us for Another well, it's actually another couple of weeks now because obviously with the gap now two week gap until the Super Bowl, so there'll be no podcast from us next week. Aww. I know, ah, oh, indeed. Will you miss me, Marcus? Oh, I always do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello, go. I <laughs> came a
1: little bit too camp, I think. Right there. Hello. Hello.
0: So yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my days. We've gone crazy. Indeed. So, <laughs> on the crazy note, remember...
1: Hey, guys. If you want to get a hold of Audrey or Marcus, send them an email at ballhawksnest at com.
0: We are also now downloadable on iTunes. Our latest shows are rebroadcast on the 1800 online network, a link to which is at the side of the page. Marcus, my good friend, until after the Super Bowl, man, it's been an absolute pleasure.
1: It's been a
0: blast. And just like our football fans out there, Marcus, stay safe, take care, and thanks for stopping by.